when I had guests from the skateboarding industry come to class, so many of them said, Naftali, I cannot believe that you're here. And I cannot tell you and your students how many times I've been kicked off this campus. I own a multi-million dollar business that's all over the world, but I don't have a relationship to school, to any school other than being kicked off the campus. So we have been constantly like that is embedded in skate culture. So we're trying to reframe that. And, you know, we've had the, the head of Vans, the heads of Adidas, the heads of the magazines come because it's also not just teaching the university and the institutions to recognize themselves in the youth, but also those who are no longer youth, but are disconnected in, in those industries that have been marginalized. Why would they want it? Why would they want to go to the university? They've been getting kicked out their whole life. Why would they want to do that? Well, hello and welcome to How Do You Like It So Far, a podcast about popular culture and our changing world. My name is Colin McClay. And I'm Henry Jenkins. And we are thrilled to have you with us today. And we are joined by two amazing guests and colleagues from USC, Dr. Naftali Williams, known as the first ambassador of skateboarding, which is a great title, uh, who is a sociologist and recent PhD. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Uh, on faculty at Annenberg and working on all kinds of really remarkable stuff that we'll get into today, including global issues of diversity, identity, and youth empowerment. Like, hello. <laughs> um, and Zoe Corwin, research professor at uh, USC at Rossier School, who directs the Digital Equity and Education Project for the Puglia Center of Higher Education, who works on also super relevant stuff like college preparation programs and access to financial aid for underserved students, pathways for foster youth, and the role of social media and games in post-secondary access and completion. That sounds like a lot, and we're going to get into it today. Um, but first, um, how are y'all doing in these uh, crazy times? I should acknowledge Right now, it is the week before, well, the elections are already underway, a, a, the week before election day um, in the pandemic. And what's up? How are you doing? <laughs> Do you want to go first, Zoe, or you want to? Go for it, Niftali. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm experiencing all of all of the, the pandemic and, um, and, and our, our voting anxiety here in the Netherlands right now. So um, I've been here doing research and... Um, it's definitely different to watch everything that's unfolding in the U.S. through CNN and through social media feeds, as opposed to like being in L.A. where I'm normally at and uh, and actually getting to see everything firsthand. And so, of course, there's good things about that and bad things about that. The negatives not being with the people you love um, during these during these uh, difficult times, but it does give you the opportunity to really. Uh, look at everything that's going on in the U.S. and actually have some context to really get, get, get uh, just pull back and say, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And does it need to be this way? So that's, uh, that's the, the bright side. And I'll pipe in to say that not only is the, is the um, election rolling down, um, but in my personal life, it's super interesting because my oldest daughter is applying to college, which, um, you know, my whole life and career has been dedicated to supporting young people in um, making that, that journey to college. Mostly I've been working with first generation students and to help my own child is um, a very different uh, journey, uh, which is really complicated. So, um, so that's, that's kind of a, 
that's been taking up some time, but I will share in the good news category um, that uh, over the weekend, I went to the opening of the El Monte Skate Park. And and I know we're going to get into this in a moment, but um, that is really like uh, super connected to the work that Neftali and I have been doing. And um, it's kind of crazy at the opening of a skate park, they were actually citing our research. So that's, that's pretty rad. That is amazing and inspiring. And boy, I, I guess my feeling is we can use any and all the good news we can get right now. But, you know, for, for people who do... If that's yeah. the case, I do have one more bit of good news to put a smile on. Oh, yeah! Hit I us. did just get married. And I just wow. got back from my honey. So I am now Dr. Williams, but also Mr. There's Mr. and Mr. Williams. <laughs> Mr. Doctor. Yes, okay. yeah. Yeah, so that just happened. So uh, so just in the in the light of having reasons to smile while listening, yes. that's uh, you know, the world is not that bad. We can do this. We'll do it. Tonight. We need more love. That's yeah. it. I'm glad you're making it happen. Yes, yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. Well, I, I'm going to guess that that didn't have as much to do with the research as the opening of the skate park, <laughs> which is also another kind of joy. As you know, as scholars, you do all this work and you hope that it makes a difference, or most of us hope that it makes an actual yeah. difference in the world. And you don't always see it so directly translated. So to have your research and your team and your uh, your findings be part of the creation of a community resource is, you know, that is cause for real celebration. So uh, maybe take us back a step and say, like, let's talk about what this research is and um, beginning with how how you got into it. I mean, Neftali, you've been driving this train for quite a while now, right? Like, you, I mean, as we think about, you know, the and, and I, well, I'm, I'm going to bring it, get into to games and play later, but like, these are the, ter- this is the territory where scholars don't go because they're like, oh no, that's not serious. Like yeah, you can't yeah, yeah. be talking about skateboarding. That's, you know, whatever. So, so how did you how, tell us like your origin story on this? <laughs> I'll try to, I'll just try to do the, the, the short version, but really I've been, um, you know, I've had a career in skateboarding culture. I've loved skateboarding since I was a young kid. And when I first got into it, one of the first things I saw was that, you know, I'm originally from Massachusetts and where I was in Massachusetts, there was not a lot of reason for people from different backgrounds to get together. Even our parents at the time were saying like, oh, you know, this group stays with this group, this stays, this group stays with this group. And what happened was when skateboarding sort of entered the lives of all the kids within the, the community, no one really knew like anything about it. It was, was good. Right. We just knew it was cool and we wanted <laughs> to do it. And so what ends up happening is everyone's like, oh, did you learn how to do that? Oh, yeah, I learned how to do that. Did you learn how to do this? And the next thing you know, we were just having these intercultural and, and interracial relationships developing. And they were developing organically, and especially in a context that like adults weren't seeing that it should happen. And so mm-hmm. we were right there on the front lines, just engaging and learning together. And I always really, I always kept that with me, knowing that that skateboarding's been that site for me personally. And um, you know, I, I've continued to expand in that. I was working in the skateboarding industry as a photographer, as a writer. Um, then using skateboarding as a tool for cultural diplomacy with the U.S. government as an envoy. So I, I took those those lessons and, and experiences from being young that seeing that skateboarding could be that common ground for for young kids to get involved and just really carried that through my career. Now, of course, with, you know, with uh, with uh, with Henry knows, I moved that into my work teaching at USC. And that was something where I really was saying, listen, this is something that's popular. It's a popular sport. Um, it's a popular activity with all this culture 
attached to it, be it um, looking at um, the video and multimedia uh, production and creation, the photography aspect, the nonprofits, the businesses. This is a whole sector that's not being discussed. And action sports in California as a whole, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry in the world, but we're in California. So it was really, you know, I was lucky to have, you know, a great, great um, admin staff who was really, you know, an associate, associates who said like, yeah, we, we, we see this, we see this, this makes a lot of sense. You should be teaching this. And I developed my course from there. And that really sort of laid the groundwork for, you know, for, for, for um, just developing this, this new space, focusing on skateboarding and its ability to create bridges between all kids outside of our school and our students who were not seeing themselves reflected in a curriculum that that was talking about this action sports were just wasn't there. And so, so many students got involved and got excited and, you know, we continued from there. And then lo and behold, Zoe came and, um, and, and said, Hey, I've got something going on and I'll, I'll let her take it from there. <laughs> Imagine that Zoe with something going on. <laughs> Always something going on. <laughs> so yeah, so I had a, my best friend actually was working for the Tony Hawk foundation, which is now the skate park project. And the Tony Hawk foundation at the time was, um, they, they've done a phenomenal job building skate parks or helping communities build skate parks across the United States. And um, they they wanted to, to lean into the work even more and figure out like what kinds of things were the young people who were using those skate parks, what did they need? What were they missing? How could the community better support them? And they had a lot of anecdotal um, information about you know, the success of their parks, but they, they actually, I, I, I have great respect and admiration for them and that they wanted to bring on researchers to um, do a deep dive. And so uh, we developed a study. They gave us leeway to do uh, what we thought was the best and most rigorous approach. My smartest decision, the number one thing I did was reached out to Neftali to say, hey, you want to join this project? Um, and, you know, it was a, it was a fantastic collaboration because mm -hmm. I am not a skateboarder. I was an avid cyclist growing up, so I totally understand the value of being active and learning on the road and, and you know, tactile learning. But I didn't know anything about skateboarding, in fact. Um, I'm a lifelong educator. I might have harbored a few misperceptions about skaters, <laughs> um, but I know a lot about the young people who, mm -hmm. uh, who, who we used to call at-risk youth. We're now calling them at-promise youth because um, they have so much to offer. And, you know, young people are often villainized and, and um, just uh, stereotyped. And so I, that, that's the demographic that I've been working with um, my whole career has been students from minoritized backgrounds from low income communities and looking at college pathways for them. So I have came in with this educator perspective and um, it was really good to, to be able to bounce back and forth with Neftali, who has such a deep connection to the skate community. Because sometimes there would be things where he wasn't even thinking about it because it's so natural to him. Or like I might push back on something. And in other ways, I would say something. He'd go, whoa, no, you can't think of it that way. Like, But that's so helpful that you do because this is how we need to connect the dots yeah. and translate to, um, you know, for people who aren't... Uh, Skaters, and I'll tell you one thing that was actually Neftali. This was another awesome bit of good news we had yesterday. We got an email from um, 
a guy who works with City of Skate in Minnesota. And he just, he had just, he emailed the skate park uh, project to say, we just want to thank you for engaging with that research at, um, at USC, which first of all, like how often do researchers get thanked for the work? Right. Right. And this right. has happened. This is not the first time this has happened no, with the skate study. And he said, you know, we, we got our skate park approved and here's a clip from, um, the, the, the state legislator, yeah, right? So the senator yeah. is citing data from our research report which then led to money being allocated for the skate park so that's pretty amazing i think that is awesome i mean i have seen these happen i there's a bike park that was just created kind of not so far from me um and it took them like a decade or more to kind of get it approved and then like a weekend to build it and so I mean, not to say that a skate park takes a bit more than a bike park but still it's like there's so much resistance to this thing that nobody understands and so then when you go into that territory which is generally not welcomed and you shine a light on actually what's happening and you you know kind of bring that out it allows folks to make more informed decisions so let's get into yeah. what you found like yeah. let's hear what was so motivating for these folks and you know the role of skate parks or where this connects to identity let's like let's get in a little bit <laughs> i you know i can just take one part if you want zoe just saying like one of the one of the one of the main things that, that going back to what we were saying earlier um, that I experienced was that we learned from the study that the skate park becomes a real place of community building, a real place where skaters from all different backgrounds, social socioeconomic status, just diverse young people get the opportunity to come together. And in truth, they are learning together. They're learning from both looking at tricks and seeing things happening, but they also learn the social norms of, okay, something as simple as, this is the turns that we take to use the space. And that's something that you will see at a skate park. You'll see it about a five-year-old at a skate park or a 50-year-old at a skate park. Just that relationship where quickly everyone learns like, hey, this is how we do these things. We do them together. We cooperate. We use the space. We speak to each other, both seeing each other's presence, but also in learning and offering um, suggestions on how to do things and that's something that's you know really magical to have a space where all of that is coming together and it hadn't been discussed in any way that was that was beyond anecdotal until we worked on this research and again like zoe said that was something that was really beautiful for the tony hawk foundation like now the skate park project to to say we know it's been great in our lives but we would really like to understand how skateboarders are thinking about the skate park thinking about their future and as zoe knows also, what is the relationship between them, them as skateboarders and that skateboarding identity in the community around them? Does the school understand skateboarding? Like, what does it mean if you if you have, uh, like us, if you have um, scholars or teachers around you who don't understand the thing that you're into? Does that present more barriers? What happens, and 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 how would they like to see things change or or um, be improved? So that's just like one aspect, but the skate park delivered you know, bringing together diverse audiences and getting them to, uh, to appreciate each other. So that's just, just one part. Yeah. You know, I, the, what Neftali mentioned about the intergenerational connections, yeah. like that yeah. was mm. really surprising to me because it, not, it, it's just something I hadn't thought about, but if you, you think about the spaces where you have, like maybe, I don't know, churches, synagogues, mosques, like that's kind of a place where you see like a lot of like authentic intergenerational communication, but like where else yeah. do you see that? 
really you see it in the in the skate park and through our interviews you know we did interviews with over 120 skaters from across the country we also did a survey a national survey and that came up quite a, quite a bit you know the other thing that is so um like is very very relevant to this moment in time and um you know, Naftali and I, when we designed the study, along with, I, I've got to say, with our collaborators, Titia Maruco and Maria Romero Morales, um, who were integral to the study, and we had a whole team of researchers. Christine Rocha was one of them as well. Oh. But we went in with it uh, using a critical race framework. Yeah. We knew that this was really important to think about um, the role of race in skateboarding, because sometimes what you hear in the skate community is like, oh, we all skate. This is like a colorblind activity. Race doesn't matter. And so in some regards, we found that actually that, um, you know, that the skate parks were often a place where it, it really didn't matter your personal background. Mm -hmm. However, we knew it was more complicated <laughs> yeah, than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our survey findings and some of the deeper interviews we did um, uncovered some really interesting uh you know, compelling um, things that were happening with regards to race. Yeah. Um, one of them, and, and, and this is really important for the skate world to understand because the skate world, and, and Naftali's research goes into this in depth, but um, I'll just talk about our study, but the skate world sort of has maybe even like whitewashed skateboarding a little bit. Like if you see how the media is represented it over time, which is not the case mm -hmm. um, from the inception, which Naftali will, you know, that's his dissertation research. But what we found was that um, skaters of color felt safer within the skate community. So mm. a skateboarder, a black skateboarder holding a skateboard felt safer walking down a street than not holding a skateboard. Oh. That is profound. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Right? That is, <laughs> that is, it's actually, jaw. I mean, I, I, when I presented this to the skateboard project board, I, I saw jaws drop. Mm. Um, because if that's not your lived experience, walking down the street while black, you're not going to think of uh, how you feels with regards to safety. And that, yeah. that was really profound. Um, and it's, you know, from an education perspective, it's super important for like the skate industry to understand that young people, well, yes, they're finding um, safety and solace and joy in the skate park, but skate parks don't operate in vacuums. They operate mm. in very specific socio-historical political contexts. And so when a young person walks outside of the skate park, you know, how are they going to be perceived by police? How are they going to be perceived by police? Um, business owners. And so it's really, really important to understand just, um, and you know, a lot, of, uh, uh, not only how the skate park functions, but how skateboarding functions. Cause as we know, you know, people, young people and old people don't skate just in parks they're skating on the streets right. too. And yeah. so there's a, a, a strong kind of overlap between, um, all these different issues. Yeah, just, just to that too, just, you know, that was one of the biggest things as, you know, as I said, I've been in skateboarding for a long time in an industry. And as, as Zoe and I and the team were working through this, we're really focused on saying like, okay, like as an African-American skateboarder, like I've been in this a long time. And so some findings that people would want to just sort of gloss over, like we knew that that was a key finding and a very important finding. And the truth is for some people who had to explain it, like people would say to me, and she knows this as we were working on like disseminating the information. Well, you know, Naftali, why is that important? Well, it's important because black people are dying. These are young black males saying that they feel safer. And, and Zoe knows, you know, I was trying to start us on a higher note as I was getting into the data and not be sad, but <laughs> I was going to give a couple more findings before we got here. But, but the truth is that is like one of the most important findings. It's, it's, and getting people to understand, and I can say that 
in February, early February, March. Zoe knows this. People did not get it. They did not get it. Zoe and I, Mm. black men are dying in the streets and I'm saying black men, but because in this particular, that was the most at risk at that, in in the the way that I was looking at it, saying like, Zoe, we've got something huge. And she's like, no, this is amazing. But people, even when picking up the story, were not seeing that. That wasn't important. And I I just have to, you know, really go on record that we were saying that this is important because people were thinking we're in a post-racial space. And there was also deliberations during my PhD, like working on the thesis, looking at the history and the experiences of skaters of color from the 1970s to now. So I was straddling both worlds, both writing the history of skateboarding through the lens Mm -hmm. of people of color, but with Zoe and the team, like what's going on the ground right now and what's happening. And there was a, there there was, I'd say there was a, there was a tension, you know, because we're always reflective as we're doing our research, right? But there was a, there was a tension in looking at People saying, well, we're getting ready to go to the Olympics. Like, is it important to talk about race? Like, do we even need to do that? Like, if anything, let's just focus on gender. And Zoe knows this too. Mm. Like, like, let's do that. Like, race, ah, we already figured that. And so we're there going like, no, we are not. This is, this, this is not true. Like, people are dying in the streets. And this is important. I want people to understand, particularly because – you know, as, as you know and can hear, I'm passionate about skateboarding, but I understand what this means for communities of color, right? I understand mm-hmm. that, I, that that parents parents in communities of color are looking for ways to have their children safe, be active, and, and make it through life, right? Make it through, through the world. So to have skaters say, and black skaters say that they feel safer and that they're less threatening to, really less threatening to white people, this is huge. And I want to yeah. make sure that all these communities know that because we need as many avenues to survive as possible. So this is like, this is key. And so back to what we're saying is that it didn't seem that it was that important at the time, but we were really trumpeting it. However, with the Black Lives Matter movement, the murder of George Floyd, with the pandemic, with all those things happening, all of a sudden, it made so much more sense. Now people will, and I, you know, it's, yeah. it's okay. And I, I know as researchers, it goes like, sometimes you're at the moment of the cusp, but even it was just exciting for people or, or for us to see that people were now getting it. It was sad that it took that for them to get it, but then they really understood like, oh, what you were talking about is the safety, the safety. And yes, like the building the bridges between communities. Oh, that's super important. But even at a baseline to just be able to walk through a neighborhood and come home, like yeah. parents need that. And so like, you know, that was just a huge finding. Sorry, I get a little, a little passionate. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that, that's great. I mean, so, so what I hear there is that, I mean, not, it's not a, I don't know if a ceiling and a floor is the right thing, but like on, on one hand, like you're talking about basic yes. security, like sur- survival, right? And all that, you know, one is you're alive and yeah. two, it enables you to live or like, you know, to actually make something of your life, right? So you have on that hand, a bit of, I don't know if it's protection, but de-risking and a little more freedom, like psycho-emotionally. And on the other hand, all these findings that you also um, uh, revealed of like things that it actually allows you to grow, whether it's intergenerational or mentorship yeah. or that social connectedness that otherwise, like you, I mean, I lived in Massachusetts too. Ah, and yes. I didn't experience it as racist. I don't know. I mean, I, I've read it, you know, we've heard the stories, but as segregated on a million different lines. I've never been in a place that was more segregated than Massachusetts on economic lines or where you went to school or where you lived. It really just a divided, felt to me very divided. I always thought Henry Higgins could run the ride the red line 
and determine who got off at which stop with absolute certainty, right? Totally. So, so yeah. segregated by so many axes there. And, and so, so bringing in things that shake that up and create opportunities, right? Um, that, that's amazing. And then, you know, sort of like, I, I, you know, like it's the practices of what, what it takes to learn something, how you ask questions. I mean, how you are mentored and how you mentor others, right? These are life skills that we are all like dying to see in our kids and yes. in ourselves yeah. in many instances. So I love that, like the, the range of kind of insights that you offer here from you know, just basic security, the most fundamental stuff all the way to, you know, lots of real value creation in yeah. people's lives. In particular, that mentorship, you know, like Zoe was saying, seeing the intergenerational mentorship happening is, you know, was, is just, it's just something I see here at the skate park in the Netherlands. And it doesn't, it, it's, it doesn't matter what country we're in. That's something that goes on. And that community building is, is, um, is something that I came here to the Netherlands and literally walked into the, the neighborhood skate shop mm -hmm. and they've treated me like family since, mm -hmm. since I've rolled in. Like, that's just how it's been. Introduced me to everyone and it's awesome. been like that. And that's it. That's another insight, right? That like, so skate parks are kind of one uh, gather religious gathering spot, like in the way that Varun Sony talks about religion, like that this is clearly in that religion zone. And it seems like skate shops are the other, right? That's an, the other, you know, another of the outposts. You know, what's funny, Colin, is we we had a really big debate at the beginning of the study is where do we where do we go to recruit skateboarders? Right, right. And right, we right. actually landed on the skate shops. So we, we worked, we, instead of the skate park, because you're moving around everywhere, we, we, we worked with seven skate shops across the, um, the United States, um, one in Gallup, New Mexico, Enchantment Skate Shop that is predominantly Native American skaters. We had the garage board shop in East LA, which is an amazing place, serves mostly Latinx skaters. They have a food pantry on Fridays at the, at the skate shop. They have an after-school program um, that runs out of the skate shop. And actually, I think Henry would really dig this, but one of the, you know, we were really trying to get at like, what, what skills do skateboarders believe that they learn from skateboarding? And it's, this for me as an educator was really exciting. So they're saying they're like tenacity. You skate, you're going to mm. try a, a trick a thousand times until you land it. That actually, from some of the work that Henry and I have talked about with video games, there was a big, strong connection there. Like just trying and sure. trying until you figure it out. Um, skateboarders, like they're, uh, they're problem solvers. So they see a space they want to skate. They have like this really strong do it yourself ethic. Um, so they'll find a space and, and, you know, make it work. Um, Neftali, what are some of the other skills that we documented? There were so many like cool, like thinking out of the box. We've already talked about communication. Yeah, it, and even in the practical skills, like that media and content creation has oh, been yeah, part yeah. of skateboarding since day one. Yeah. So we're at the end of our school for communication and journalism. Like the <laughs> fact is like the, these skaters have been immersed in media, but not in the way that we're thinking now, because of course the world is immersed in all social media. It's on your phone. It's on, it's available, but skateboarding and skaters have been every early adopters of every new media from eight millimeter to high eight to V or the early VHSC to three chip. I can like, I can just, I can list them <laughs> off because it's the, it's the world that we live in. Right. And so that has been something that they've always been the first early adopters of the media and content or, or in, in content creators, just riding a skateboard. And once you're once you kind of assume that construct identity of like, I am a skateboarder, all the other things that go along with that is that also you gain a basic understanding of that media and content creation. And that's just a legacy part of skateboarding culture. Now that's, 
that that being said that gives you skills right that kids are learning to film each other to make the videos now they post them online but they didn't do that then they just filmed each other and that was like that was the homie video is what it was called that's just them you're making that video and creating teams and doing that also it was part of um, the skateboarding business model too but but to to sort of get a get a macro or excuse me just yeah just a, sort of a larger view on that is this is also remember this is unstructured so part of the necess mm. what what requires the the filming and the media and content creation is because you are from a marginalized community now that is the other part you're not on television you're not you're it's not monday night football sunday football like you know all the footballs in between we're recognizing that like oh this thing that we pursue like we are marginalized and you just know it because you're not seen, you're not visible. And when you are visible, it's often via, via stereotypes or via different ways that are kind of disparaging. So one, the fact that all skaters adopt into skateboarding, it's not like your parents just push you and go like, okay, you're going to skateboarding camp and I'll pick you up at four. Like, yes, that those things are, or are, are, are maybe coming with the Olympics, but this is the adoption of an identity of a set of values to go this is what i'm going to do even though i recognize if i do this i'm marginalized because i'm not going to play mm -hmm. basketball or i'm not doing football or these things that would actually give me a a scholarship to go to usc like i have to decide that i'm going to do this thing and like there has to be something intrinsic in that that's has enough value for me to see it to try to explain to people that i'm going to do it and even if they don't get it well luckily there are other people there along with me so so that's sort of the beautiful, the beauty in that, in that. So some of the research that Sangeeta Shrestova and I've been doing on young activists, we're consistently hearing young activists who are now recording the protest and putting that up online or live streaming protests acquired those skills by recording themselves skateboarding. So that it, oh, it's this expanded capacity at production. We're probably at the point where it's young activists now the next step up from that is likely to be young media producers more generally who are entering yeah. the entertainment industry as we're fighting for representation and inclusion there. So it's not just that we're expanding production capacity for skateboarding. It goes well beyond that. And that's something I wanted I wanted to, to help, I guess, usher that conversation along in building my class at USC was that the point was seeing all these other avenues that are part of skateboarding culture, like long before we were having, before we were being activists in this way, I was trying to show students that this is the capacity for the jobs you want to be that, that, that person that's in, you know, that's working at NBC or working in these media, media fields, but also here skateboarding is a tool for cultural diplomacy and getting people to understand that there's a global culture to tap into. And that's something that we as adults need to recognize and support and create those pathways for kids to see whatever they like, for, for me in particular, whatever they like in skateboarding culture, but seeing that there's a home in the university for those mm -hmm. skills, for that vision, and also to have a faculty that is responsive and understands that we need to create those avenues and those opportunities for them to see themselves in the, in the, in the teachers, right, within the institution. We learn, they learn, and we all get better. Yeah, that's something that Natalia and I have spoken about a lot, too, is like, how do we now um, 
put our research in front of people who have never considered skateboarders before. And how do we, how do we, it's like two things. Like <clears throat> we've actually thought a lot about how to get the research in front of skateboarders. And we just worked with a young woman who's an undergraduate, Brittany Min, undergraduate at um, USC Thornton School. She developed a zine, which is like a little magazine that takes one of our findings and translates it into a very like skater friendly um, way to look at it. So, because part of the thing is like, hey, you're a creative thinker. You're really good with your hands and making things. Have you considered this career or that career or this career? Have you considered going to college? You know, because I think a lot of times you have these young people with a lot of passion and skills, but they don't understand how to connect the dots or they don't understand um, the different career options they might have. And then on the flip side, you have educators and, and um, you know, industry not thinking about um, what skateboarders could bring to the mix. So that's, that's our next thing. That's what we're, you know, one of the things that we're trying to figure out how to translate. And then if I may, I, I want to, I just want to make sure we get on like one of our, our other core findings, which was like the first thing that came through, which was we did our big survey and we, and we, <laughs> Um, we asked young people why they skateboarded and the number one reason was to have fun. So as a research team, we kind of went, oh shit, this is not earth shattering. Like, how are we going to go to the foundation and say, guess what? Thank you for investing in this study. Skateboarders skate because they like to have fun. It was, it was like a very anxiety inducing like moment, like that's not news. But then when we started to go deeper and unpack it, we realized this was kind of like revolutionary, like, and, and especially now, especially now with the pandemic and all the racial trauma that young people are facing, the act of having fun is, um, is critical. And, um, and we actually have a new study that was funded by the USC's provost office that's going to dig deeper into that. So we're, we're, we're hoping to learn from young people who have been through their fair share of challenges, but who are finding ways to take care of themselves, to find joy, to build community. And, um, you know, we, we can talk at depth about kind of some of the nuances of that, but that uh, I just wanted to make sure we got that on the, on the podcast table here, that, that, that um, to have fun and to bring joy is, is is a, is a, a very important part of what we found. Totally. I mean, that makes me think of Kathy Cohen and sort of like her work and challenging us to say, let's not just look at, you know, people who appear to be paragons of virtue, but that it's okay. And indeed, especially for, for marginalized communities, right. For historically marginalized communities to be seeking joy. Right. Yes. And that's like part of life. And it doesn't mean that there are not all kinds of other great things that come from that very human um, desire to seek joy and fun, but that like to to like acknowledge that's that's good as you said right. like, like that's so, a win <laughs> yeah like we Sorry, really, to no bro, I was just gonna you know when when Zoe and when the team were were thinking through that like that really was a big deal because we look at it it's fun and exciting but really going like let's actually stop for a second remember Zoe like thinking through like what's the amount of stress that young people are actually dealing with in their lives. And particularly communities of color, like understanding, like like I I know because 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 I've been there. That's my you know that's where I'm from. And so understanding that, like there are so many stresses, the ability to go to the park or just go out and go skating to ultimately, I think we we talk about is to be able to push right. That's what it is. That's the quintessential bit of skateboarding to be able to push away faster than the people who are around you. Now, like 
Think about that for a moment. The world is around you. There's people on the streets. They're all you all when it's not COVID, but normally there's all this movement. But you have the sole ability to move faster than those things around you. And there's peace in that. And there's there's ability to really, you know, try to try to just clear your head. So that fun meant something. And also to what Zoe was saying, when the skate parks closed for during COVID, when that first happened, and like in particular when they dumped sand into the Venice Park so that skaters couldn't that like now. I, I'm on my thing was I got texts from skaters all over the world. Everyone was like, what is happening? What is going on? But I also understood, of course, we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what to do. It was COVID was just hitting. I, I understood that we were taking emergency actions. But what I was excited about is how quickly they went, oh, actually, people are fine at the skate park because now we know they they already self-regulate anyways. So like they know to be right. six feet away because they're skating. So they're kind of away. They're not doing, it's not a team sport. So quickly the parks became, were opened and there was like a benefit. And I know like, you know, the LA mayor, I know in particular was like, oh, we need to shut these down until he realized like, oh, actually, no, 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 that's fine. And I, and I watched that transformation and got texts from people on those teams and were, were saying like, okay, this is actually something really good. And to just give you a little bit of other evidence across the pond, both in the UK with my, my friends who work for the BBC, all of their children in their neighborhoods, just that's just anecdotal. They're like, everyone is starting to skate. All of their kids are like, they're looking for something they can do because all team sports are stopped. And right. here in the Netherlands, the skate shop never closed. I got here. Everything shut down. The <laughs> owner was like, oh, I'm just going to go in and do some work because we're in lockdown. And then someone showed up and someone showed up. His business has been – he literally has done better than he's done in years because every single day there's a new parent who shows up and says, all the other sports are banned. My kid can do it in the driveway. They can do it on the street. They're fine. Like they're literally just buying skateboards in droves, and there's a skateboarding – component shortage in the world right now i just got off the phone with the with the skate park, skate park foundation and you can't get components because everyone's skating yeah. i'm working i heard that at this at the almonte skate park too yeah, yeah. there's no complaints but no neftali i feel like what i learned from you when we were starting the study is that like around the age of 12 and 13 a lot of young people a lot of young boys were that was when they were um kind of stopping out of organized sports. Yeah. And so here you have like these kids that have done organized sports their whole life at this critical moment where they're, you know, going through adolescence and now they don't have a way to, you know, be active. And so that's why, uh, you know, a lot of young people take up skateboarding at that moment. To nudge this back toward education for a moment, being at USC all day long, you see kids of color being led around by various departments to break down the barrier between town and gown. And at about five in the afternoon, six in the afternoon, the campus starts to depopulate. You suddenly see kids on skateboards running around the USC campus and the campus police throwing them off. And listening to your research, there's a huge lost opportunity there. There's a lack of understanding of the potential connection a university like USC or any other urban university has at that moment in the day when kids are voluntarily coming onto campus, not drugged <laughs> yes. by their teachers, and are there to explore the space of USC and to excel at something. And feel at home, right? 
feel like it's their place. Yeah, and, and you know, I agree because I've skated USC for a long time, and, and actually, <laughs> and actually, just so so yeah, so you know, and, and Zoe knows this, but one of the most famous spots in Los Angeles is what is dubbed the USC Ledges. It's across the street on Hoover. They have been filmed all over the world, and even they've even been replicated. Converse sent architects to come make models and bring those and actually put those in at the show in Brighton, the replication of the USC ledges for those to be to be used during during the week while they were having their event. So the fact that young people are on the campus, like just like you said, is that it can be a missed opportunity, but that was the benefit of like developing the class and me to actually be able to say to young skaters and go, actually, hey, you're skating here. Are, have you thought about going to college? What are your, what's high school looking like for you right now? And to build that bridge. And I have to give a shout out to, you know, to director, to, to Gordon Stables, because Gordon had always been mentoring me in, in, in thinking through that, like, he recognized early on that that was something that why why are we not always working with them? They're literally here kicking them off in their community, in their neighborhood. Why would we do that? And then there's also just to like thinking through the through through the have and have nots. And what is those the, what does it mean even besides throwing them off? Those same skaters who are being stopped by, like, say, DPS are watching these privileged kids because you are privileged because you're going to USC watching them skate by to go to class so there's the disconnect right mm -hmm. so you so it's so they they don't they're not understanding like wait but you you just said i can't skate here but they're skating and what what does and i'm not blaming dps but i'm just saying any structure in any place it goes well why are they there oh well because they belong here they're 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 students here so i'm trying to you know and, and all of us trying to build that bridge where kids go like oh so if i go to school here you're not gonna throw me off well, the only place I can tell you to go is go to your dorm. And since you've got an ID, I can't really do much. So that's that also will retrain both, you know, our patrols and DPS and in our institutions to recognize like who's supposed to be there. And when I had guests from the skateboarding industry come to class, so many of them said, Naftali, I cannot believe that you're here. And I cannot tell you and your students how many times I've been kicked off this campus i own a multi-million dollar business that's all over the world but i don't have a relationship to school to any school other than being kicked off the campus so we have been constantly like that is embedded in skate culture so we're trying to reframe that and you know we've had the, the head of vans the heads of adidas the heads of the magazines come because it's also not just teaching the university and institutions to recognize themselves in the youth but also those who are no longer youth, but are disconnected and in, in those industries that have been marginalized. Why would they want it? Why would they want to go to the university? They've been getting kicked out their whole life. Why would they want to do that? I'm, I specifically focus on getting those industries, excuse me, to say, listen, if you want to continue your industry, the talent that you need is actually at the university. And they don't see that until they get to come to school. And the only time in skateboarding companies, surfing companies, the only time they they get those who have you know degrees is they joke that that's that's who their either their attorney is or their accountant is. And so this is the first time where where they're looking for interns, looking for people specifically from the universities to come and fulfill that. And I look at that as my as a bit of my legacy to to continue to grow skateboarding even in that way is to put our students in those positions, which again, goes to better representation, 
moving marginalized communities and placing them in positions of power. So we're really trying to do a lot, but we're getting it done. We're getting it done. So can I um, can I see if this bridges or how this bridges to your other work, Zoe? Because to, we're talking about university kind of reforms and you know different ways that we deal with campus and people are visiting and so on and how we deal with it as an institution ourselves. But it seems like this is this. I mean, in a moment in the pandemic when you know to the extent that we were not aware of the incredible and inexcusable differences in equity and education well settings now it's like whoa you know it's so <clears throat> as with everything it's so stark right the opportunities that some folks get and that many folks don't um and so i wonder as we think about sort of digital access and just you know what it's like in your community even even right now right with athletics where we're you know there's research out saying yeah that rich people are still rich kids are still getting served in different ways and poorer kids are having a really hard time right so skate skateboarding there another opportunity but i'm curious to zoe as you're thinking about sort of college preparation and young people growing up and the the sort of findings that um you all have come up with and are like how does this what does this tell us about education like grade school and high school does it does it offer some suggestions insights on things that we should be doing differently or things to lean into the, the, with the skateboarding study to the yeah 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 um well i think it's all about meeting students where they're at right so uh us adults we we think we know the right ways to do things and and we make the mistake when we don't center students or we don't listen to students. So with the work, you know, right now is really interesting because oh, Henry knows this, like I've been a huge advocate for um, using smart technology uh, to, to supplement the work that people are doing within schools. Um, and, you know, people would look at us and go, what games in the serious world of college right, right. access or social media? No, that, you know, that doesn't make sense. And now people are going, oh, technology is the, the, the solution. This is what's going to, you know, save everyone. And that's not the case. Like it's so much more complicated than that. And so adults are investing a lot of money into um, all these tech tools, but not really thinking through like the interface between uh, how are you implementing the tools? How are you using them? So they resonate best with, with young people. And so I think that, you know, the skate study illustrates is that, um, you know, we have to stop and listen and observe and, and see what works for skateboarders. Same thing with the young people that we're working with in the digital tools. Like, Number one, do they have access to the tools that we're creating? Do they have access to broadband? Do they have people who are willing to support them in um, learning how to use the tools? Uh, and then, you know, what's what's really working with them? And and so, uh, I am I am deeply concerned, like deeply, deeply concerned about um, uh, how the young people uh, that that, that you know, across the country really are both um, the learning that's happening or not happening. And then as importantly, their um, socio-emotional well-being, their, yeah. their, this point about like mental wellness and mental health, um, that I think that there are some ways that technology can actually be a really cool tool. Um, and then other ways it can be distancing. So, so you know, I, what do we need to do? We need to really like, really look at the young people and see where they're leading us. Yeah, our organizations tend to not 
necessarily center, you know, the folks, <laughs> there, there's an irony in there, right? Of like, we tend to center our own interests or teachers' interests or institutional concerns rather than like putting ourselves in that perspective. Yeah. And also like, we'd like to like suck the fun out of something. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, did, did <laughs> That's you, the motto, right? right? On the t-shirt. Like, we suck the fun out of learning. Yeah, <laughs> like technology can be really fun. Like if you, why don't we put more games and and it just yeah. like in, innovate that's i think the skate community is so innovative like how can we be innovative you know and and bring the joy back i don't know if you all saw aoc on on twitch the other day playing among us yes, yes. <laughs> that was rad that was you know, I, she knows how to bring the education in without sucking the fun out yeah <laughs> well the funny thing is i i sent um Oh, I follow her on Instagram. So I sent that to my 14 year old son and I said, Hey, check this out. And his text was, Mom, you're late on this. I just, <laughs> you're late on this. I'm following her at four. And then, yeah. and then I went and my daughter, who had like some crazy math test to study for, she couldn't pull herself away from from the Twitch feed of, is that how you say it? The Twitch feed of, of the game. And I'm like, Okay, this is good. Like, this is where we need to be. Yes, but this to yeah. me, there's like a, there's a lesson in there for skating too, which is to say, if they, if you introduce skateboarding into school as like a, a learning opportunity, then it like sucks all, you could just see them sucking all the fun out and, and taking that away, the joy motivation, as opposed to just sort of wrecking, like, I mean, what I hear you saying, Neftali, is just like, let's recognize and celebrate that stuff. It's not yeah. like a class, you know, in terms of, you know, you're going to learn tenacity and problem solving no, and thinking outside no. the box, right? It's just like, recognize that. This, this suite of activities and the community around it and the practices and our kind of culture are, yeah. you know, have value. But but you, you can learn physics. You can yes. Learn yes. Physics. And we've seen like really cool examples of uh, teachers being really creative and integrating skateboarding. Remember Neftali, that school in Colorado that has a skate ramp and there's a physics teacher that does all this stuff on the skate ramp. Like, yeah. we got to look and, for the and- Spot. And and that happens, yeah. And 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 the same thing. Like um, uh, Malmo in Sweden is now the most skate friendly city, where they're designing the city for for skaters to be there. It's part of the recreation at the high schools and elementary schools. The same is happening oh. over in Australia. It's ha- there is in the curriculum in some of the, some places within the U.S. But but to your to what you're saying, Colin, and, and I know Zoe just was saying it too. Is like it also depends. The fun will be sucked out when you are not hiring the right people. Right. That's right. Like that's also a key thing. Like that my class is fun. I like it's I mean, and and when they start, I, I'll be honest with you, when we start, the first thing I say is, although this is a class, I'm sure you decide came to this to you were gonna learn about skateboarding culture. But when I but I say, but what I'm actually teaching you is how to recognize the problems um, and opportunities that are in that are available in any ecosystem how to solve them and how to bring people together in order to accomplish that task and students mouths they're all drop and go like wait wait what i thought we were <laughs> I didn't sign up what, for that. <laughs> what, what is happening but they get the opportunity to see because i just use skateboarding as a lens of all of the issues all the things that we're trying to deal with in the world they get to see people who like who are running companies people who are athletes advocates they get the opportunity to see, you know, from different backgrounds, LGBT community. They get to see all of these different things and actually see who they, they get a, a really good lesson and empower. And who has power, who has it and actually is not using it because maybe they don't know how to advocate 
but they get an example of a huge ecosystem. And literally in class, they go, okay, this person visited, where do they sit in the, where do they sit within the ecosystem? What changes could be made to influence what's happening there? And then most importantly, in like their midterms and finals, like where is the problem in the outside world? Where is that beyond skateboarding culture? Where, who's not connecting? And so their finals and their midterms is designing projects that actually go, this is, we're going to partner with this group. And this is, we need to talk about adaptive sports or an adaptive, adaptive world and what to do. So like that happens via all of those things in the class. So I, you know, I haven't had one student say it wasn't fun yet. So, you know, I, so, so I have to say like my, my, my shit's cool. I don't know. You know, that's going to be the pull quote. for the Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so having seen learning to skateboard in a war zone if you're a girl yes, yes that's yes. a very powerful illustration of even a very traditional school system incorporating skateboarding in in a way yeah. that audiences when they see it it's always a crowd pleaser that moment yeah. of recognition of these girls smiles as they're learning to move for the first time in that way and yet i wonder how many of those people who see that film from a western perspective even crosses their mind that this is something that could be brought into the schools here. You know, it's funny. I'm on the board for or advisory board with Skatistan. So I just was in three days of meetings with Skatistan this, this week. And so that is also like their goal is making sure to, to translate what's happening for all audiences. So Skatistan is there's Skatistan in, in, in Kabul, but also Skatistan in, um, in Cambodia, which I was, was there before, um, and in South Africa. So they're really trying to translate amongst a lot of different um, audiences to get people to understand that skateboarding is still can still be that bridge to education. But the way that that I use it is more to, to higher ed as well. But those basic building blocks of accomplishment and creating community and then using that to to open the doors towards all forms of education. So you're right. I don't know necessarily that everyone sees it, but that's our job is to to make those connections. And that's all of ours on on this on this call. All job the job of all educators to see that and go like that's happening there in that age group. But actually how is that going to continue up? How are how are it's our job to find that goal and to be really espousing that. Can I also ask about, we've, we've talked a lot um, about uh, folks of color and marginalized communities, but we haven't spoken specifically about uh, girls and women or about um, kind of alternatively abled folks, right? And I'm just curious on, on those kinds of dimensions, what, you know, and like Zoe noting that you kind of went into this being interested in girls. And at least from the, my reading of it, it seemed like the, the benefits weren't, you know, there was a little more gendering. There may have been less of a race consideration than in some spots, but, but a fair amount of gender concerns that are still there. And I'm just curious for like, for those folks or for communities of, you know, people who are physically not able to do all this stuff, what, you know, what are their pathways for inclusion or what do you see happening in those spaces? You can take it first Zoe, and I've got some stuff to add. To okay. Um, so, and also for the LGBTQ uh, yeah. community as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we definitely incorporated uh, questions pertaining to gender and sexual orientation in the survey. Um, we definitely had more people who identify as male take the survey. So there were, there were um, and we had about 2,500 um, survey respondents in our age demographic, which was um, 13 to 25. So uh, unfortunately, our, our sample of 
people who identified as female and also LGBTQ was not as large as we had hoped. Um, what we did find is of, of um, female identified skaters, that group does feel like there's the most growth that needs to happen in the skate community. Um, so while uh, our skaters of color, including female skaters of color, felt uh, safer and, and more included in, in the skate population, we saw a discrepancy with, with gender. So mm -hmm. that, that is definitely um, a place where there's room for improvement. That said, we also documented a lot of really cool things going on um, through, there's a ton of nonprofits, there's a lot of social media, like incredible so stuff going on in social media um, for uh, skaters who identify as girl, girl skaters, female identified skaters, LGBTQ, there's, there's really cool stuff going on. Um, would we love to do a deeper dive into gender? <laughs> yes, we would. Um, and or the funders you know, out there have at it. <laughs> hopefully, that's coming. You know, and we also, we also, um, we, you know, through our interviews, the, the the young women that we interviewed, you know, had had really cool things to say about how they've been integrated into their local skate communities. So it's a complex. It's you know, it's complex and um, definitely a to be continued. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just gonna to go back to um, to support what Zoe said is one of the things that we've talked about is skateboarding is still of the world, right? This is like, it's, yeah, it's not on its own place, not on the moon. And it's just this utopian space. It's like, no, it has all the same issues and problems that we have that, that the U S is facing and that the world's facing. So this was actually one of the things that was really important to get to see, like, here's where the disparity and discrepancy is. What I would say that has been good in skateboarding culture, um, in skateboarding industry is that now in this current moment, when thinking through that data and those feelings of, of, of an area of opportunity, we've seen not just in the study, but because I've been in skateboarding for a while, we've seen the steady progress happening going like, that is our area of opportunity. And it often comes down to when we talk about what marginalization means. And part of it is in, in particular, I know people in the industry going, hey, we've been marginalizing women in this way for a long time. Why have we been doing this? And is that who we want to be? Like the, the marker is really going like, it's not punk rock to marginalize anybody. It's punk rock yeah. to bring everybody in. Exactly. And so, so anytime we're doing something that, it, that, that devalues anyone, you know, I always look at that. Well, then that's not skateboarding. That's not for me. That's not skateboarding. If you're excluding anybody, then that's not skateboarding. That's, that's your own hang up. That's your own mm -hmm. bias, your own things. And so there's been a really big push both within the industry and the skate community to make sure that we are, creating space for for more women and more girls to be in, be involved. That doesn't mean it's perfect at all, like like the data shows, but that has been something that everyone's been actively engaging with. But as Zoe and I have discussed, the thing that that was really important to us is to go, remember, these things are intersectional. Like all of these people are marginalized in so many different ways, the race, gender, sexual orientation. So we want to make sure that there's a space to 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 look at what we're doing and grow sort of in all those, in all those capacities so that we're not forgetting one thing. We're going like, Oh, as she knows, like, Hey, the focus is we're going to focus on women and young girls, women and young girls. Yeah. But where's race playing into this? These women of color, where's, where's, where's this sit at? Oh, we're not going to do that right now. Then the shit hits the fan and everyone's like, Oh my gosh, well, we forgot that we were focused on this. Our job is to make sure that people understand and focus on and sort of all those, 
all those nexus that all of them are important like you no one should be marginalized in this thing that we that we love and care about and that's just as a skateboarding advocate advocate and um you know that's just that's I will just tell you one, there's a, the first modern African-American female skateboarding professional is uh, Samaria Brevard. And I just interviewed her again yesterday because I'm working um, on this, this magazine called Skateism. And Skateism is the first magazine that has focused on the LGBTQ, um, mm. uh, on that community. So even in looking through how is skateboarding evolving, the fact that there is be creating that space because people are like, we need it, we demand it, and we want it. So I'm just helping work on that. But I was interviewing her because even in that, looking from that lens, they called me and said, Naftali, we've been focused on queer skaters and the LGBT community, and we've had lots of skaters of color, but we've only looked at them through the lens of their gen, excuse me, their sexual orientation or their gender identities. And we totally forgot about race. So like that shows like everyone is really kind of got a little bit of a blinders on and we, we could all do better by investigating how everyone is oppressed or has the ability to to you know to 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 support them through multiple multiple sectors and you know i was proud of them for that you know that's that's a big deal to go like hey we've had 20 different people of color and never asked them what their experience was like as a person of color we've only focused on this which is okay but we can always try to do better well, as we see, you know, um, so much in the world right now, kind of the, the movement against anti-blackness and systemic racism led by people of queer folks of color in yes. particular, right? Yes. And young people. It's like precisely the community you're talking about who are, you know, that, and what in my conversations often says, if you take, you know, the most marginalized folks and make sure that they are included, then everyone gets included, right? It's, a, it's the, yes. you know, it's the punk rock and skate vibe that you described, right? So in that sense, the fact that you're, you're, you know, your sample is really Gen Z here and you're, you know, bringing in all these different aspects of identity and a shared identity as skaters, that to me seems like just a tremendous amount of power um, to realize. And, and indeed, precisely along the kinds of things where I would argue the nation needs to go. Yes. Um, so yes. it, it seems really promising in that way. <laughs> yeah, just the, the just sheer act of recognizing people for who they are and like yeah. in that respect. Like if we just do that, like, whew, that's, you know, that's that's pretty much the game right there, and then we just we create strategies. That's all to to continue to do that, to continue to to provide access and things. So, you know, hopefully things continue to get better. Uh, with this, well, I guess I guess uh, we'll know in a, we'll know in a few days, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, maybe cut that. Maybe that's too maybe that was a grim bit. Sorry. To a close, as we yeah. before we invoke the you know the 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 cliff that we're about to come to go vote go vote please go swim vote. fly or well since most people will hear this after the election oh, we should okay, okay. multiple versions of this depending on what the outcome <laughs> is okay 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 so no 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 let's think positive yes it's going to be great everybody please go vote please go vote and if you if this is after then we're glad you voted hooray <laughs> <laughs> It is, it is exciting to see. I've seen a lot of, I, it's funny. I have two Instagram accounts. One is actually I have three. One is my, my family <laughs> one. One is one that I create specifically when I teach qualitative research methods. And the other is we, we joint run the skate study uh, site. And um, I, 
oh, by the way, it's at USC Skate Study. Uh, yeah. um, it's been, so it's, I, I feel like it gives me a really good lens into like just what's going on in the skate world. And I'm seeing a lot of people saying, go vote, go vote, go vote. Yes. And there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, initiatives out there. It goes back to what Henry was saying. Like, you know, uh, I think the young people are, are trying to engage people in, in, in civic work in a variety of different ways. So it's, it's, that actually gives me a lot of hope both yes. in the skate world and Colin back to your question about like what's going on in, in the digital world that I'm, you know, looking at, I'm seeing some really cool, innovative um, and engaging things happening, you know, generated by, by young people. And that gives me a profound, profound um, hope uh, for, for our future. Skate to the polls, skate to the polls. That yeah. has been going on. That's, that's, that is an initiative that's been yes. happening in San Diego and LA. Like it's an actual real initiative. And it's been happening. I see it both in San Diego and LA. The Skate to the Pole initiative has been something that all you'll see it on Instagram, you'll see it everywhere. Is that's a real thing where skaters are going, this is what we need to do to make the change that we, that we want to see in the world. And that's also, I, I would just say, when we look at the history of skate, skate culture, it sometimes gets like, you know, as we know, sort of it's been whitewashed and marked. And, and there's just been that, that way where I always recognize that it's still a new, it's still, it, it's, I mean, it's only 50 years old, arguably it's 60 years old. And to watch that level of change occur to the fact that there is Skate is a magazine, that there is Skate to the Polls, to watch all these things go on when we're still, I mean, Colin Kaepernick is still not playing, right? Yeah. So like I've watched, and that's the, uh, the, that's the stuff that I document when I really look at during the dissertation, the history of and experiences of skaters of color, I've watched them gain agency and have voices in ways that are not happening in traditional sports. And that's its own thing. But those that's the data to bring to communities of color and go, listen, why are we playing football? Why are we doing this? Like, why are we doing these things when those structures do not want to be responsive to us? So if they don't want to be responsive, why don't we do something else? Now, of course, there's economics and these other factors that are in but it also has to do with what's the information going to the community of what are the ways to what are the ways to aspire what are the ways to survive within the US right because we're coming from that perspective we have to find a way to 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 make a life in the US and so when i'm talking to leaders in communities of color going these are alternative ways or your kids to have agency, to create, be it to push them to go to school, to start their own business, to even just be involved in recreation in a way that's not going to channel them or funnel them into a system that they have no power in. So that's all. Well, that seems like a fitting place to end with the promise for the future um, and where my greatest hope is. Um, so I just want to thank you both so much for um, sharing this with us today. It's just been a great conversation and I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having us. This is always good to, to be amongst uh, creative thinkers like you all. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was amazing. Thanks. Thank you. The breathless joy and passion we heard from those two guests, the sense of excitement of making a discovery about something you care about and being able to demonstrate to the world that it's valuable. And it was not long after that we recorded the podcast, I was walking down Broadway in front of my house and suddenly this young man of color was propelled toward me at high speed and collided into me. And instead of having the cranky old man get off my lawn kid, 
response, my immediate thought is too bad these guys don't have a skate park downtown. Because, <laughs> and that shows what a convert I am as someone who's often been fairly grouchy about people on wheels heading straight toward me. Totally. Well, yeah, I was, I mean, that, as you say, that, that, that enthusiasm and the promise, and, and I love that it connected to real world outcomes, right? As scholars, we don't always get that kind of like a straight line where in legislation, someone is, you know, is, 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 is pointing to your work or escape, something is physically built based on what you said. So I think that was amazing. I, you know, I really, for me, the, the part that resonated was just, what happens when you have a subculture that sort of defines itself as being kind of not the opposite of mainstream culture, but outside so many aspects of mainstream culture. And that this, you know, the way that this subculture has defined itself as being multi-generational, as being generally supportive, as being still gendered, but, you know, perhaps a little bit less so, definitely more race agnostic or inclusive. So lots of really positive values, including the ones around, kind of learning and sharing skills and tips and engaging with each other. So that, that kind of, you know, like the idea is, you know, someone with, um, with kids, the idea that there are spaces that some of us might think of as like dangerous spaces where trouble happens that are actually remarkably supportive. And in many respects, the kinds of spaces that we would like our kids to be in happening on their own is pretty remarkable. Um, so I was, so that, that really jazzed me. And I think, you know, as you were pointing out, Henry, the and 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 um, uh, Naftali and Zoe pointed out, of course, like the role of the skate shops in all this is really a trip. Like this is like the unseen church. You know, this is this is another of these community things that most of us would never give a second look to, um, but that is you know really a powerful place. Yeah, as I was speaking, I was thinking about my comic shop, and I'm deeply, I was deeply loyal to Boston to me and your picnics for twenty years. I'm deeply loyal to Comics Factory in Pasadena since I've moved to L.A. And these are places I can go on a Saturday afternoon and start up a conversation with pretty much anyone in the shop. The clerks know who I am when I walk through the door. <laughs> the, uh, the people I bump into there are eager to discuss comics and what they like and what they don't like in a way that most shopping today is relatively anonymous. So I feel what it must be like to be in a skate shop, even though I'm never someone who's going to strap wheels to the bottom of my feet <laughs> or, uh, or simply stand on a skateboard. That's not my re world, but I'm excited that people are finding that there. And I'm reminded of this longstanding debate I have with the educator James Paul G, who around his use of the term affinity space and my use of the term participatory culture, because G is insistent that for this learning to take place, there doesn't have to be this intense sense of community. There simply has to be shared resources and knowledge. But I've always had trouble finding a space that has shared resources and knowledge that doesn't have passion, doesn't have sense of connection between people. Mm -hmm. So it's it's an interesting theoretical debate. He, she partially wins me over from time to time, but at the end of the day, it's that excitement we heard from our guest that convinces me that that to me is what drives learning in a space like this. Well, um, and that I guess in some ways connects to the like, the last thought I had, which was like, was just how rich this was in terms of the research, the findings, um, and you know, in, like, and let's just name one particular finding, like this idea that 
a, a young a young man of color is safer carrying a skateboard in a moment where for the last many years, right, many years, that person is at risk, other like physical risk. So that that kind of finding um, that that that, um, for instance, among the other great, you know, sort of insights that they generated um, is so powerful. And it, the, you know, like the irony that there is resistance in the academy to doing work like this on air quotes, non-serious topics like games or play or skateboarding and that people will critique it and be like, that's not real. Like that's not real scholarship. That's not serious stuff. It just means that these really powerful forces that are often driven as they observed by joy, by wanting to have fun, that doesn't mean that they're not really powerful and worthy of study. And, and we in the academy all too often disregard them as objects of study and of places that can really um, tell us a lot about ourselves and our community. So I, I just really, I guess I really appreciated their commitment to pushing forward um, into this space and, and to doing this great work. Well, as, as we're recording this, this is the Saturday afternoon that Biden has been declared the winner of the presidential race. I just heard Van Jones on CNN yeah, talking about amazing. the politics. The politics of joy was part of what he talked about today and the way in which younger the younger generation of activists, especially in the black community, have seized on the category of joy as a transformative force for change uh, and the kind of power a desire for a better future motivating so much of the participation of young young voters and young activists over the last year it's absolutely like among our fellows community joy and black joy in particular is a constant theme and statement and affirmation and source of power that i you know it's not my place to speak to but just observing that that and i, and I feel like it connects to like the dancing that we're seeing in the celebrations right like yes. it is a it's a release and it's sort of an embrace of joy and recognizing with that joy comes power you know and comes unity and community and all these things that you know um are, are resources to begin the journeys of change that we need to embark on now or to take the next steps as the case may be. Well, I wanted to share a story that's giving me joy today and it's not tied to skateboarding, but is tied to the politics of the election. So there's a place out in it, just outside Atlanta called Forsyth County. And it's one of those counties that kept popping up on the map over the last four days as we watched election results come in. So the turn of the 20th century, there was an aggressive purge in which all of the black residents were rousted out of their bed in the middle of the night and forced from their homes, and many of them were lynched and executed. By the mid-20th century, by I guess the late 20th century, the 80s, it was still a sundown county, and there was not a single black person who lived in Forsyth County. Wow. And Jesse Jackson came in there with, as a protest and was calling attention to the conditions of this all-white county. And Oprah, who was at the beginning of her career, came into Forsyth County and said, I only want to have in my studio the people who live in this county. And Jesse Jackson at the time was very upset by the exclusion of the protesters. But she as a Black woman walked into this all-white room and faced all kinds of racism. And I mean from liberal racism to reactionary racism from that community. Today, that community is approaching 40% people of color. Wow. And we're watching the votes for Biden come in for Forsyth County. 
I don't know what the final tally will be at this point, but there were significant numbers of those late votes coming in for Forsyth County for Biden. And as a Georgian who grew up not far from Forsyth County, this is just such a, a, a sense of joy and pride at the transformation of my state. So we add Jesse Jackson, Oprah, Stacey Abrams, the number of people of color who contributed to the shift in that county and the reclaiming of that county. It is one of the major political success stories that led to Georgia's role in this election. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, I, I think we're, we're going to be looking, I mean, obviously, our, for the next two plus months, all our eyes are on Georgia, and hopefully lots of wallets are opening and, and um, activity uh, happening as they organize for these two uh, Senate races. But I think there's, you know, there's a, a tremendous amount to learn for all of us from the work that the organizers have done in the last years in uh, in Georgia, right? And, and I realize they've been in conversation with organizers across the country and influential in so many ways um, in registering folks to vote, getting out the vote, um, protecting against voter suppression, um, getting folks engaged. And I just think it feels like it's among the more sophisticated, thoughtful places that are confronting so many you know, painful legacies and making incredible progress. So I couldn't be you know, more you know, appreciative of the work that they have all done, all those different organizers. And it's so great to see them getting credit. And I hope that um, going forward, the you know the the other powers that be, the Democratic Party and others, listen to the folks who did the work, who made all this happen, right? As, and not go back to politics as usual and business in, as usual, and you know forget who made the difference in this election. So I think you know this is a this is a time for us to be t truly more inclusive more empowering and engage that wider range of voices, which has for so long been left outside of mainstream, you know, the actual political debate and, and, and the policies that are made. So say we all. Woo! Well, we're, we're starting. Um, so I'm, I'm just so happy to re be releasing this really positive episode into very positive ether. And, you know, as we roll up our sleeves and, and hope and, and batten down the hatches for the next couple months, um, you know, excited to see where we go from here. It's going to be a as the as Betty Davis would say, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy ride, but I like that as a metaphor because it's a bumpy ride that's taking off and is going to the sky. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be on that ride with you, Henry. Likewise, likewise. Well, we are normally hosted by the University of Southern California here in Los Angeles, um, although we're at home right now. USC and our homes in Los Angeles sit on the traditional lands of the Tongva people. We are ably assisted by our wonderful producers, Sophie Manger and Josh Chang. We're so appreciative of the unwavering support of the MacArthur Foundation in the production of this podcast. You can find us online at howdoyoulikeitsofar.org or on Instagram and Twitter at H, how do you, whatever the acronym is, underscore pod, H-D-Y-L-I-S-F underscore pod. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs>